0: Welcome back to the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And today we are joined by AP Klosky, game designer, and he's here to talk to us about something. Very, very near and dear to his heart, which we'll find out more about why that is, Noir-style games. Neil, I'm really excited to start this, to
1: talk about some some mystery, some intrigue. It's going to be great. Yeah, it, it is, because we've already recorded it. I'm dead set it's going to be great. <laughs> you know. You yes. figured it out. Before we get into the meat, we have some five-star reviews. So for our first review, it comes from DM Carlin. And it is entitled, Stand on the Shoulders of Giants, five stars. This podcast doesn't disappoint. It has a lot of advice for new or experienced dungeon masters and even writers. Stand on the shoulders of these giants. Learn a thing or two from these guys and their amazing guests. So thank you, DM Carlin, for that awesome review.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. Our next one comes from Smead79 and is entitled, "202020." five stars. I am a long time DM but very new to podcasts. I was looking for a podcast that was D&D related, that was relatable to me and my playgroups that I could listen to at work. This wasn't the first one I came across, but you guys were the first to keep my attention for an entire episode. I started from the most recent and worked backwards. Interesting approach. I had to find out what this whole food mage was about. Yes. (laughs) Thanks to DMB and DMnastics for giving me exactly what I wanted out of a podcast. It took me longer to download iTunes and leave you great DMs or review than what it did for me to listen to all of this great content. And again, thanks from DM Red. My players may not feel the same way as they come across some of the ways you have given me to kill them. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, uh, smeed 79 DM Red, for writing that review. So glad you're enjoying the show.
1: Yes. And our final one comes from Love Lockist and is entitled Excellent Idea Resource, five stars. I started playing D&D about 18 months ago and DMing about eight months ago with my local DM Adventures League group. I love my local group and will continue to play and run, but I've been eyeing, running my own homebrew campaign. I'm getting a lot of ideas from this podcast. So thank you, Love Lockist, and hopefully you do start running your homebrew campaign. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Pull the trigger. Do it. But with that, Neil,
0: we are heading right over to the meat. I'm starving.
1: We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Yeah. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys.
0: Well, welcome to this segment of The Meat. Today, we are joined by A.P. Klosky, creator of Cold Steel Wardens. We're going to hear more about that in a second. And the founder of Blackfall Press. A.P., welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. So, A.P., before we jump into uh, any talk about... Uh, Cold Steel Wardens or Noir Gaming in general, can you just tell us a little Bit about who is AP Klosky?
2: <laughs> I am uh, I actually Grew up in uh, in Pittsburgh About in, uh, actually just outside of Pittsburgh uh, in uh, Latrobe, Pennsylvania Which is known For Arnold Palmer, Mr. Rogers <laughs> uh, The First Banana Split And Rolling Rock Beer
0: <laughs> Those all sound like great things Yep.
2: Uh, ended up coming out uh, to Ohio uh, for university and founded the Wittenberg Role-Playing Guild while I, was, while I was an undergrad. Uh, the, the guild is still still in existence after all this time. That was back in 2001. Uh, we're actually uh, set to, next month, have our uh, 16th consecutive convention, uh, WITCON, uh, over uh, at the campus of Wittenberg University. So that's exciting. Uh, I actually work uh, at Wittenberg now. I used to be a teacher. Uh, I am now in uh, non-profit fundraising. I work with Wittenberg's advancement department as a prospect researcher.
1: That's awesome.
0: That's fantastic. Okay, question for you. Sure. Does everyone in that guild have to call you Guildmaster Klosky then?
2: I'm Primogen, actually. Oh!
1: <laughs> yes. Huh. That is so, awesome.
2: Yeah, uh, myself and several of the other uh, old ones, as as are referred to, have the have the title primogen because we were first generation.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad I asked. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> we need, and I can just imagine like the people that haven't been there as long. We needed to summon forth the old ones. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they can't get rid of us. Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding?
1: Uh, uh, we need to banish the old ones. One of the two. Summon that, That's banish. probably more accurate. Okay,
0: overthrow the old ones. Perfect.
1: <laughs> well. Let us talk about something that I know I've seen and love, but definitely want to hear it straight from you. Can you tell us all about Cold Steel? Well, maybe not all about, but definitely give us (laughs) some information about Cold Steel Wardens.
2: So Cold Steel Wardens uh, was my first uh, solo role-playing game. It's meant as an emulation of the Iron Age of comics. So we're looking, instead of where a Mutants and Masterminds or an Icons tries to get kind of, a general kind of overview of comics uh Cold Steel Warden's focuses specifically on you know kind of the the mid to late 80s early 90s uh street level gritty comics your Daredevil your, your Dark Knight returns Watchmen that sort of heavy investigation uh it's fitting that I'm here for the noir episode because there's a whole <laughs> lot of noir influences uh in Cold Steel Warden's obviously so uh, it's a very focused uh, sort of supers game, as opposed to you're more, you're more generalist. I kickstarted Cold Steel Wardens at the very end of 2012. Uh, we went to press. We had some, had some difficulties with our first publisher, so we moved over to Studio 2 and managed to get copies out right at the start of, 20, of 2015. I kickstarted the follow-up volume uh, in 2016, and I'm pushing slowly forward on getting, getting that out. Um, but it's, it's been exciting. I, I run at a number of local conventions, which is where I met you guys over at a catacomb. Yep, yep. so.
0: Yeah, and if you come to a Catacon this year, just going to say you could buy a copy of Colt Seal Wardens directly from AP because you're coming to the Catacon this year, right? I, a- I'm A-P, already yeah. on
2: the list. Nice. Perfect.
0: And uh, he will also, I'm sure, sign it for you, as Neil and I both know. <laughs> I
2: will, in <laughs> fact. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you're going to have carpal tunnel. Sorry about that.
2: That's all right. I, I
0: get that already. <laughs> no re- no reason
1: why we should, but Mitch and I will sign it too. Yeah. <laughs> we
0: had nothing to do with this book. Signed our names. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, okay. So follow-up question with with that talk about Cold Steel Wardens and that uh, that type of superhero adventure and setting and different types of superheroes. So it sounds like you must have, like, been really inspired by um by these comic book heroes and now you created this game that you make your own comic book heroes can i ask you like who would be your like your favorite piece of inspiration whether it's from marvel or dc or anything any other comics out there
2: there's a lot i actually i actually included you know uh, the kind of appendix N at the at the end of Cold Steel Wardens with a bunch of the the heavy influences on on the on the game itself. For me, oh man, Denny O'Neill's run on the question is a particular favorite. <laughs> um, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sales' uh, Batman Long Halloween. I actually just reread that uh, two days ago, and just oh, can't wait. They're uh, they're actually apparently making that into a two part animated series, so I'm looking oh, forward fantastic. to seeing that. Watchmen, of course, is a big one, but uh, uh, another one being uh, Garth Ennis's run on Ghost Rider was a was a favorite, uh, Road to Damnation, and then the follow up Trail of Tears. So those are some those are some favorites.
0: Fantastic. All right, we have one more question for you for this this interview segment, and this one is a is a surprise question. This one comes from one of our Patreon dragons, Delaney Blair, and so Delaney asks. You have died, AP, and you have been reincarnated. What D&D race would you wish to come back as and why?
2: Which do I wish I could come back as?
0: That's the question, yep.
2: I mean, are we talking, like, monstrous races here? Like, I could be a Tarasco or a Solar? (laughs) Hey,
0: it's a pretty (laughs) open-ended question. Uh, If you consider a a race, (laughs) that's...
2: (laughs) Uh, I think I'll stick to the, the playable core here, um... I have an affinity for dwarves, just uh, just on principle. So mm-hmm. I would probably go dwarf, but if I was going to be more realistic, I'd probably be a, be something like a half elf or, or something very Fantastic. mundane.
0: Fantastic. Hey, you could have just went human, so that would have <laughs> been super mundane. So <laughs> That's
2: true. But extra feet, I mean. You can't turn that down.
1: You've been reincarnated, and technically it's a D100 roll, so I rolled it for you as your DM, and you missed becoming a dwarf by one point, so instead (sighs) you are a dragonborn. There you go.
0: All right, all right. That's not bad. I can get behind that. (laughs) perfect hey thank you ap for answering that question and thank you delaney blair for that awesome question that we got to ask ap let's jump into keeping
2: me on my toes here (laughs) yeah
0: exactly your dragonborn toes uh let's (laughs) jump into the the topic that we came here to talk about today something that's as we've already talked about cold steel wardens is very near and dear uh, to your heart ap let's talk about some noir gaming so i think the first the first thing we want to address is just the basic question of what exactly is noir gaming. When you talk about a noir adventure, what goes into a noir game? I think when
2: when we when we talk about noir, we have to talk about setting first, because within within your typical D and D type of scenario, you know, roaming around through dungeons or you know, crawling around through the jungle, noir is kind of a significant deviation from that. <laughs> when we're going back to your, your Dashiell Hammett's your, um, you know, that sort of, that sort of author, we're looking at a primarily city based game, you know, something where you are doing all of your action very heavily within a city. The city has to come alive unto itself. I, uh, I've done my best to try to make new Corinth, the default setting for new, cor- uh, for Coltsia Wardens into, into its own animal. But we see that in comics with, you know, Gotham city, we see, uh, Frank Miller's Sin City is uh, is probably the most famous comic homage to to noir but in both the, in all those cases you have a setting that very much has its own personality and has its own grimy side and it's that grimy side where where your characters are typically working coupled with that you have a lot of the action revolving around investigation so instead of, you know, typical crawl through crawl through the dungeon, you know, find the loot, you know, look for secret doors, it's going to be almost, think in the way of a police procedural, you know, law and order, you know, uh, D&D edition, if you will. <laughs> Where the onus is really put on your players to piece together very disparate clues in order to find out what's actually going on no one in a noir setting is exactly what they look like everyone has their their dark secrets so that becomes i think an, an important issue to play up so
0: which is amazing because every single time i sit down at a table to run a game every one of my players is super suspicious of pretty much everybody <laughs> so now it's just appropriate right
2: <laughs> that's great that's that's the way you want them
0: <laughs> and i think i think what you talked about with the setting is really something that's key and also like i mean in a typical D game um which is what we talk about here a lot on the dungeon masters block well hopefully not typical hopefully we uh <laughs> we break the mold on that but uh with a typical game you have like you said traveling around to different towns different cities different places in the wilderness and in Your typical noir game, it's going to be in, like you said, it's focused in a city, and I would say that the travel in that is going to be getting deeper into, like, the different boroughs of a city, but still within the confines of the city most of the time for the adventures, but instead of looking at that as a negative, looking at that as a a positive, of really getting to flesh out the different places, and really... I mean cities are huge massive places you shouldn't feel like oh man I'm underwhelmed by the setting here I don't have enough to explore you have so much to explore
2: oh yeah and I mean when we're going back into D&D's history I mean it becomes very easy you know jump on eBay and grab some of the old uh, older edition city guides there are a number of phenomenal places for a noir style game within the D&D scope Sharn from Eberron back in back in three five and fourth, phenomenal city and and the Eberron setting really leans heavily into that kind of pulp adventure overtone, So the 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 extra step towards towards a noir game becomes really easy. Uh, if you want to go back a little further, Planescape Sigil with all its weirdness can really put forward that sort of personality that, yeah, you might have pit fiends and, you know, madrons (laughs) roaming around in the street, but when the essence of your game becomes, you know, finding the the killer of this, you know, this fellow who had information on this, you know, this high priest, you're really drifting heavily into that kind of noir attitude that... uh, even though the even though the setting might be fantastical you have you have a city with a ton of personality and you're still addressing those kind of noir tropes
0: yeah and i think you got to think about the how the environment changes as well like the city streets during the daytime are going to be completely different than during the nighttime uh or completely different when from when it is raining pouring rain or when it's not raining like those are going to add Differences to who's out on the streets, how people are acting, um, if you're in more danger or not. Like, typically, if you're playing a noir game and you're walking down an alleyway at night, you should probably be on the alert. You should probably, like, be ready for something to happen.
2: Exactly. And this is going to be maybe a a little weird bit of a segue, but... I almost can compare, you know, your typical D&D game to almost a noir game in terms of uh, the the Dragon Age video games, where Dragon Age Origins, the first one, very typical, kind of, oh, unite the dwarves and the elves against, you know, uh, against the oncoming horde. Very s- kind of standard D&D-ish plot, something you'd come to expect. Dragon Age 2 very different you have a city that has a ton of personality you if you're wandering around in the back streets you might get mugged or you know at least as long as those goons stick around not particularly (laughs) long but it has a little bit of that noir attitude which was definitely a deviation and really didn't earn a lot of fans in that regard but you know if you come at it from that kind of like they're trying something outside of the norm uh that's that's the sort of thing that i personally appreciate (laughs)
0: Absolutely. So uh, talking and we could talk about setting for a long time, uh, but kind of to move on, like to more of delving into what is noir, what would you say are like important thematic or mood elements when we're talking about a noir style game? Mm.
2: So first off, I think. Every character that you bring into a noir game has to have something going on in the background has to have something that maybe they're not proud of, some secret that they're willing to hide some some goal that they don't need everyone else to know about. You know when the femme fatale walks in through the you know the private investigator's door, you know you could tell she was up to no good just by just by looking at her. It's all a matter of That was a very
0: noir way of describing that as well. (laughs) I can can hear you falling into that noir voice, uh, the narration (laughs) background. It was great. I get
2: used to that sort of cadence.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh,
2: But, you know, ensuring that even when you're working for the people that you think are the right people, that they have their own agenda. Not to say that everybody has to be mustache-twirlingly evil. That's not the case. But rather that everybody's out for something and that you're here stuck in the middle being being pulled between these disparate forces that to me is a lot of the essence of of some of those classic noir style stories
1: oh i mean to like go off of that i think one of the interesting things is the concept of almost no one being that mustache twirling person like kind of as Mm -hmm. a thematic element like because then you don't you don't you almost in a way don't want that focus to be there because then everyone has their everyone has a much smaller less twirled mustache instead <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah they uh, there has to absolutely be shades of gray here this is not a setting where you where you necessarily want to lean really hard on the alignment system because even the best of people might have you know some vice or might have some Uh, something they want to keep under the rug or maybe something they want to drag out from underneath someone else's rug.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When you talk about uh, you, I mean, when we asked you about your inspirations from comics and like, if you look at really any of those stories, that's really what they're getting into. Even when you have characters like Batman and daredevil and watchmen a lot of the real noir-focused stories with those characters have the quote-unquote heroes having to make decisions and take actions that aren't thought of as the most quote-unquote heroic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times, they're still trying to do the right thing, but in order to do the right thing, they kind of have to cross a line sometimes. Like, think of the, the classic scene with, I mean scenes but like I always think of the dark knight with you know Batman is interrogating the Joker and he's he's getting physical and it's but it's because he's trying to save people and you're dealing with with a madman you're you have a time limit you have so it's like I have to cross this line to get things done I think that's very appropriate in a noir, a noir setting to have more of those neutral focused characters, a lawful good character is going to have a much harder time in a, a noir setting in an or game, a much
2: harder time. But, but to be perfectly honest, it can be a lot of fun yeah. to, to play that sort of unbending, you know, I'm the cop who plays by the rules and, and to test that, uh, that sort of thing, you know, the, the sort of paladin in hell, if you will,
0: it can add to a really, especially in a group, it can be a really cool group dynamic yeah
2: definitely the it's it's funny, I mentioned you know reading through long Halloween again uh not too not too recently. I think something that gets kind of shoved under the under the rug or not discussed in terms of that book is the fact that for almost a third of the book, the Joker has the same exact goal as Batman is to find the killer known as holiday mm-hmm. And they're taking completely different uh, means to that end, but they're doing effectively the same thing through, you know, a third of a third of the of the graphic novel. So that blurring of the lines of uh, who's really in the right here—that's at the—that's at the core. That's at the essence of of what makes a good noir, a good investigative game. Yep.
1: Yeah, one of the things that made me think of, and it can kind of segue us into our next topic that we wanted to bring up is the idea that that lawful good person could be kind of like the the person that your players go up against in a noir game because they're so letter of the law that it's like well no they're always this person is always in our way trying us to trying to make us do it x y and z way the other one that i thought of was marv from sin city who is oh, i yeah. i need bigger i need mamits to make big enough air quotes as to say hero of that um you know of that graphic yeah. novel but that leads us to characters in a noir game um, so I, I mean a p if you want to kind of throw some classics at us or you have already introduced you know the idea of Marv um but yeah, if you just want to go around and throw out character ideas for a noir game
2: well probably the the most archetypal one would be your hard bitten private eye uh in Cold Steel Wardens, we have the homage and he's actually the narrator of the follow up book uh the uh, uh rogues gallery uh named Sawbones, who is effectively nice a former paramedic who um, was involved in a very uh, very messy ambulance crash and uh, learned that he could phase through in, uh, inorganic material. So, became a private eye. Uh, he is, in fact, the narrator of, of that volume. So, when writing as that character, you want to be just a little cynical, just a little jaded. Someone who's been there, has seen it all as kind of, I don't want to say resigned, but... Is going to continue to try to make the world a better place, even though if even though they don't know why they still do. And it's in that why that you that you really get into the depth of the character. It's like, why am I still doing this? Why do I why do I still care about this city? Why do I still care about these people when no one else does?
0: Yeah, like we talked about almost the the setting, the city itself being a character and how it can change with day to night and where you are in the city and like if we're if we're talking about a gotham city i feel like pretty much everybody you get this feeling that pretty much everybody who lives in gotham has seen gotham's dark side but you might be in a city where the characters that you meet may really be defined by have they seen the dark side of the city? Have they seen the stuff that they can't unsee? Have their eyes been open to what happens at night in the alleyway, uh, in the basement of that building? Have they seen those things? Or are they on this? I feel like the people who you're going to meet that are going to be more cheery characters, if you do meet those people in an war game, you're going to be looking at them as in like these ignorant people have no idea what it is that we do at night to protect them.
2: And if you have if you're if you're going to use a city uh for for a noir style D&D or a noir style role playing game that districting can really help emphasize that. Yeah. Um John Harper did that extraordinarily well in Blades in the Dark. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys yeah. have have had a chance to, yeah. Oh, huh. Duskwall is just a phenomenally well-built city. And each region in that city is almost an entirely different nation unto itself and the fact that they're they're in such close proximity and constantly you know grinding up against each other really makes for a lot of good potential plot lines good tension good character interaction
1: yeah, it almost makes me, I mean, this is kind of a like a, a good visual representation, but a little, obviously a little bit more comical, but almost like when you're transferring from like one area of World of Warcraft to the other. And then it's just like <laughs> cool mountainous and forest and like, look at all these mushrooms. Um, but like that kind of transition of those districts being so well defined is kind of the kind of the point that you want to get. So I came up, I remembered uh, another another trope, and you had kind of brought it up. You know, the femme fatale, but certainly any fatale, because the one that I thought up was a uh, Phantom X from the Uncanny a- X Force um, mm-hmm. series. You know, you yes. know, and Marvel in general, I think, is a great way to have, and you know, the multiple personality kind of situation <laughs> going on there. But de- definitely a really cool character to look at to pu- put into a noir game to as PC NPC or whatever. Mhm.
2: Definitely. And comics are comics are rife in that because a lot because so many of the long-lasting characters have come out of that the pulp and noir traditions, you know, going all the way back to the Shadow, you know, your two-fisted, you know, I- investigator.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's another good one.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think another really interesting character that you can get into in a noir game is if you're going to have a villain in the adventure or the campaign or whatever, you're not going to have probably your typical D&D villain. Your typical D&D villain, I feel like, is going for power, um, is leading armies, things like that. In this, you can get a very m- smart mastermind criminal, perhaps a, a crime boss, or you could go for the serial killer. I think of uh, like a Zodiac killer scenario being very very interesting for a noir game and finding the clues that are even sometimes purposely left by the quote-unquote villain of the campaign
2: it's funny you mentioned that the the current cold steel wardens game that i'm running that i will hopefully be able to include in the next book whenever that comes around uh is actually very heavily based off of the movie seven uh kind of crossed with unbreakable (laughs) That's fantastic. So, I mean it, it it is heart and soul a police procedural. It yeah. is we're we're investigating, we're finding clues, we're in we're in the coroner's office, you know, looking over a body. You know, it is very much rooted in that sort of investigative.
0: Yeah. And if you if you come with a a serial killer or a criminal that's leaving clues like some in our own world's history have done, like, there there you go. You've got, like, check out some puzzles. Check out, like, some riddles. Just have those, the answers always be little clues to lead your characters to the next scene of the crime or wherever that that villain is trying to lead you to.
2: Definitely. That does kind of lead into something I was thinking about. One transition. So uh, if you're a GM that hasn't done this sort of storyline before and are looking to get into it. One thing that you may find difficulty in divorcing yourself from is the typical sort of like encounters per day kind Mm. of mindset, because within a heavy investigative game, you may only have one or two combats. You may only have a few occasions where the arrows or the guns or what have you come out because the majority of your action is taking place as you're interrogating people, as you're looking over clues, as you're you know, searching through a crime scene. So it takes a little bit of effort to shift the mindset in that regard. And there are a number of different ways you can structure that sort of investigation as a GM, which, which are great. Uh, I actually outlined three of them in Cold Steel Warden's, what I call a pyramidal investigation, a timeline, and then a relationship map. Investigation. So, but it definitely divorces itself from that sort of okay. Well, they went into room three. Well, next is room four. Well, that doesn't necessarily happen when you they have an entire city to investigate.
0: Yeah, and I think this is maybe this is a good time to kind of working off of those thoughts transition into because we we've kind of mentioned a lot that this style of gaming, war gaming, is not your typical. Dungeons and Dragons game, not your typical fantasy game. So for those out there who are wanting to try a Noir game, but still wanting to keep it within like a fantasy world, perhaps their homebrew world, whether they play D&D or play another game, whether they break out Cold Steel Wardens, if they want to keep it to that fantasy element, what are some ways that you could collide the two, bring Noir and fantasy together together? And we, I know we've talked a little bit about different ways, but what are some other ways that you can bring the two together and make it work and make it work well?
2: Well, I think, I think part of it is what we mentioned earlier in, term, in terms of centering your game in terms of a major city. Now, that's not, not necessarily saying every, every piece of action has to take place in Sharn or Waterdeep or you know, wherever, but being able to, as a GM, look deeply into that as your core setting. Say okay. Who are the major players? Who is coming into conflict? Why are they coming into conflict? Uh, answering those sorts of questions in your own mind then can start driving the action of what what the actual plot's going to be. Truth be told, I'd actually suggest for for GMs wanting to do this specifically in fantasy, Wizards of the Coast put out a number of books back in the day. They were re released not too not too long ago that were titled Murder in Blank. Uh, uh, they, there was Cormir, uh, there was Murder in Tarsus, which is my favorite. I was a big Dragonlance kid growing up. But all of those are, for all intents and purposes, noir adventures as novels. So if you want to see how that can interact within a, a core d d setting, they're already doing it for you. Yeah. So those can become really good resources. And of course, there's always the, you know, your Dashiell Hammett's of the world, your, your Philip K. Dix, where you can, you know, literally take a plot line, you know, you could mm-hmm. <laughs> you could take do androids dream of, of electric sheep and turn that into warforged. And congratulations, you have a you have a D and d adventure now.
1: Yeah, and some of those longer running procedurals, um, the one that I thought of because I've actually watched the entire series was the kind of longer running villains in Bones being a way to take that essence and plug it in by making the villain be the catalyst for the setting and kind of like that being the forcing, not really forcing, but like I said, the catalyst to create a noir game in your fantasy world terrified my wife but we watched i watched the end of bones by myself <laughs> i think
0: some of these transitions are somewhat easy like yep. you could easily just take the idea of a character and just change the character for a fantasy setting take kingpin as a character and Kingpin, like, I love I I love what Into the Spider-Verse did with Kingpin, like, really, like, poking fun at how he's drawn in the comics as just this big hulking character. But, like, take Kingpin, and, okay, well, now he is an ogre or a beholder that wears a monocle. Uh, have there be, like, some element of, like, fancy on him, but, or, like, yeah, an ogre wearing a white suit in the city would be phenomenal. But it's as simple as, like, a simple change with that like you can take just simple simple character concepts change it to a a fantasy race and really you're still playing an aura game just within a a city full of fantasy creatures and races
2: and the nice thing is the flexibility of a fantasy setting somewhere where magic exists and is a known thing really gives you a ton of opportunity. I mean, imagine trying to track down a serial killer who can, who can literally change their face because they're a changeling Hmm, or, you know, someone who has access to, to magic to literally make the bodies disappear, you know, disintegrate.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes it harder. Um, Luckily, hopefully, the heroes have magic on their sides, but still, they're yeah. When you throw in magic to a setting with crime, it definitely makes there be a lot more easy ways. <laughs> oh yeah, to break the law and to hide it from the law as well.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean the the sky's the limit in terms in terms of imagination there.
0: Yeah, we already live in a world where eyewitness accounts are shoddy at best. But throw an illusion magic to that mix, and you like the the bank robbers leaving the bank. There was only three of them, but to everybody outside, there were hundred and thirty of them running out of the bank because of illusion magic. That makes it a lot more hard, a
1: lot harder to track down those criminals.
2: That's a really neat idea. Actually, I might I might have to steal that one.
1: <laughs> well, the, the even the other like the simple concept of like uh, yeah, but they used a bag of holding. So now it's not this guy, yeah. you know, and these bunch of people that are running around with these giant, you know, the, cla- the classic the sack of money with a, a dollar sign written on it. Yep. You're like, <laughs> there they are. Uh, but it's just a nondescript backpack. You ain't know, a haversack you know, that basically everyone could wear. The other thing I thought of that would be hilarious is, I guess, it's, okay, it's not it's not a funny concept. It's a funny method of a terrifying concept. But if someone were to kidnap someone by using polymorph. I don't know. I Oof. I guess I saw someone running with a cat, but whatever.
2: <laughs> it was a cat. Of course it wanted to get out of his arms.
1: Yeah. Why? Yeah.
0: Why would I stop them? Yeah. Yeah. Even that I love that idea of the extra dimensional space of a, a bag of holding, too, because if you're you could play in a fantasy world where there are there are guns. And so you could have metal detectors and different security points. But. They have a backpack that they're able to hide their their weapons in and walk right through and be undetected. And then, like you said, Neil, walk right out without being detected as they take take whatever it is that they stole. It's it really adds adds to. The- There's
2: already precedents for that sort of thing. I think I think Warlock has it now. Swordmage had it in fourth edition where if you're a mile away from your weapon, you just summon it to your summon it to your hand with a with a yeah. non action. You know, you walk into you know the bank or the repository or the the treasury or wherever. Oh yeah, of course I'm unarmed.
1: Shing. <laughs> or have it be magnetic, and then you let them steal it, and they put it in the vault, and then you summon it back. Genius. <laughs> So um, as we have started to do, we're going to go around and kind of see if we can give some reading material, some watching material, basically some amount of research that you can do as the listener to kind of get some more inspiration in your brain for noir gaming in fantasy or just in general. I'll steal something because then you can't steal it first. So, what you should do is you should go by Cold Steel Wardens, and you should go to page 266, and you should just read all of the comics that AP has written on this page. That's
2: not a bad choice. Bold choice.
1: Um, And another one I'll toss out there is all of the Batman Noir branded stuff from DC is really, really good. So, I would say um, I don't think that's on this list, so I will add it to that list that I have given you.
0: So for me I think I if you want to like get into the real specifics of perhaps that that villain that you're going to be basing that campaign or that adventure around and tracking down this serial killer or this criminal I mean where better than to go to a documentary where you can hear about crimes from the real world that have been committed and or or movies that Maybe not as based on the truth, but based on a true story, right? Uh, I think those are great places to go to for some inspiration on this kind of a game.
2: Just at just at a glance, if if someone is looking, if they want to go back to back to the original novels and the and the comics that inspired Noir, uh, believe it or not, the Wikipedia page is actually fairly comprehensive and 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 very well cited. So if you if they're looking for a, a good source, that's a great place to start. That said, you know. Like I said, your Dashiell Hammett's, your Philip K. Dick's, your Raymond Chandler's—I mean, those are your kind of classic, uh, classic authors. If you want something in, in terms of media, obviously the uh, the Netflix Marvel series, your Daredevil, Jessica Jones, uh, Luke Cage to a degree, though obviously it kind of gets into the black exploitation stuff, and maybe skip Iron Fist, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. The um a number of phenomenal um, DC animated. In fact, if you want the, the, to me, the quintessence of noir, go watch the intro to Batman, the animated series. I mean, for that 30 seconds, you don't even see the Batman logo. You don't see the name of the show. You don't see, you know, any of the voice actors. It's just, it is a thing of beauty. And I don't think that will ever be, ever be topped, but there it is. In terms of comics, um, you mentioned you mentioned my reading list. I, I might uh, particularly say, okay, if you haven't read Watchmen yet, go read yeah. Watchmen. It's it's thick and it's uh, it can get a bit um, off putting at times, but it is at its core a detective story, and New York is as much of a character as Rorschach or the comedian or Ozymandias or anyone else in that book.
0: Yes, fantastic that's i love watchmen so that's a great place to end those recommendations we've given you a lot uh, to go out and check out so that being said first off ap thank you for joining us on the dungeon masters block this has been a wonderful discussion now uh let's i want to throw out this last question to you if any of our listeners want to check out Cold Steel Wardens, anything else you do, what you have going on, where's the best place for them to go and do that?
2: Uh, best place uh, to get a hold of me, generally speaking, is going to be either our Facebook page or our Twitter, which is Blackfall Press, at Blackfall Press on Twitter. I do have a website, blackfallpress.com. It is not updated as much as it should be, so generally speaking, Facebook and Twitter are the easiest way to get a, get a hold of me and to figure out where I'll be in terms of conventions and the like um my next convention is i mentioned witcon uh, at the end of march that's march 23rd in springfield ohio if for the if anyone is nearby in that regard i will be at origins where i'll uh, be debuting a new scenario which is exciting as well as two new pregens for cold steel wardens i think i mentioned this to you guys at a catacon that I cycle out pregens based on what happens during that year's convention cycle. So each year, we depending on what happens in the adventures, characters get shuffled in, characters get shuffled out, and the world changes.
1: That's awesome.
0: That's fantastic. Thanks again, AP, for joining us in the show. We hope to have you back on soon.
2: Yes. My pleasure, guys. Anytime.
0: But they've been asking for their mail on a daily
1: basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now, let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? i am dying to talk about the mail with you all day, okay? Welcome to another segment of the Mailbag of Holding, where we take your stories, ideas, and questions that you, the listener, send in. And this time, we actually have a form submission from Squarespace, where we have our site. Today, we have a story from DM Grapes. So they talk about our Creature Conversations episode, and they actually kind of told the story of how they use some of the dumb beasts, as we affectionately called them, in the podcast. And that is kind of something we had shied away from, but their use of it is absolutely amazing because their Hexblade Warlock has the beast speech invocation. And so every week, the players basically try and find and interrogate, mainly just apparently to hear... Hilarious animal voices, but <laughs> some of their favorites are the chicken obsessed with corn, paranoid <laughs> bats who worship Strahd, a Brooklyn finch, and termites who can only chant wood, 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 wood. <laughs> so just awesome uses of the idea of letting kind of the world be this place to get more information. They say that they do half truths and you know, the way that a dumb beast – thinks about things isn't going to convey a lot and there's not this big back and forth so basically it kind of just you're scrying into the world of beasts to see what you can get back through the beast speech invocation
0: oh my gosh i don't i don't know really what i have to say about this except that i love it i mean i think talk with animals is a spell that doesn't get used far enough, mm-hmm. uh, coupled with talk with plants. Uh, I want as a dungeon master to be able to have to come up with what is it that those termites are thinking like that sounds so much fun. It's really bringing, bringing to the table what D D is all about. Just having a good time laughing with friends. Uh, and yeah, hearing those termites chant wood, wood, wood. It's a great memory. Like, yeah. Do it more. Have, have, have the PCs cast talk with Animal more. Get to know what the animals of your world, the dumb beasts, as uh, we've said before, get to know what they're thinking. It may not be a
1: lot, but get to know it. Definitely. And some of the actual plays I've listened to, some of the best moments or funniest moments rather, but still useful are when a character will cast speak with plants or speak with animal. So definitely add more into your game. So thank you, DM Grapes, for that awesome email. We just want to thank AP Class Geek for coming on and talking to us all about noir gaming. As you could probably tell, it is not our field of expertise, but AP took us to to class. And now that I said AP in class, I feel like it was one of those those <laughs> classes in high school. Where, AP class. Yeah, where I had AP computer science and I just played a game called Gunbound most of the time. But all of that aside.
0: Oh man, you had different AP class experiences than most.
1: Yes. But if you wanted to tell us about your Noir gaming or how you played Gunbound as well, definitely head over and email us at DungeonMasterBlock at gmail.com. And of course, as always, if you see fit to give us a review, head on over to iTunes or your podcatcher of choice and leave a five-star review, which we will read on air.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at block and you can like our facebook page both of those places are going to have updates about the show updates about the patreon and all around DD goodness
1: oh man we've got a super awesome patreon shout out and today's patreon shout out goes to rich, rich Howard. Howard. um we we're not sure who this is but um thank you rich <laughs> a a word for being a patreon (laughs) dragon
0: (laughs) oh gosh for some reason i feel like they are a dragon that can breathe underwater i don't know why but yeah thanks for your support appreciate it thank you the dungeon masters block is a proud member of the block party podcast network check out other shows like geek wars dungeons and
1: dragons and daughters we're so bad at adventuring and more And as always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch reminding
0: you to always keep on dungeon mastering.
1: It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. Yep. If your players get out of hand, chop them. Goodbye.